Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. If you've been here, you would know that we spent a couple of weeks now considering um, the parentheses which Paul placed at the beginning because he felt that um, these believers didn't quite understand exactly what he was trying to communicate to them. And so just to be absolutely sure, he repeated himself and, you know, as we look for the book of Ephesians, you know, as I said in the very, very first week, we have three chapters, it's evenly split down the middle, we have three chapters which are just doctrinal. And then we have three chapters which are just focusing on application. And the interesting thing about the scriptures is this, especially in the New Testament, is that when you read one of the books in the New Testament, you find that the author takes a long time to establish what we believe in and why we believe it. And then once they've done that, you normally get that word, therefore. Because first of all, we have to know what we believe in and why we believe it. And then once we know and then we understand what we believe in and why we believe it, there, has to, there should be, the natural progression is that there should be a response. And so, Ephesians is split down the middle. The book of Romans, for example, Paul takes 11 chapters just to, just to establish what we believe in and why we believe it. And so, in your personal study time, you know, doctrine is so, so important knowing what we believe in and why we believe it. And as I mentioned, I'm not sure if it was last week or the week before, it's repetitious. It's going over the same thing. And pretty much, if you're a lover of soap operas, the characters seem to change, but the story remains the same. It's always the same story, but it's just different characters playing it out. Well, who hasn't had an affair in about five years? Well, Phil Mitchell. Is Phil Mitchell still in EastEnders? Don't know. Don't watch it. Phil Mitchell. Well, let Phil Mitchell have the affair. Let Phil Mitchell be accused of murder. Whatever it may be, the stories just go around the same. Now, not in the same way, obviously, but the Bible is hitting the same nails over and over and over again. And so, Paul, the Apostle Paul, you know, just kept hitting that nail. Hitting the same now. And so now we finally come to his prayer. And hopefully today we can um, perhaps complete chapter 3. So if you are at chapter 3 in Ephesians, let us read from verse 14. 
where Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's beautiful. It's poetic. But it's real. And the Apostle Paul's response to laying out all of this information, knowledge, hopefully to be understood. You know, he responds by praying and he continues this pattern. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you know, Paul generally gives us the knowledge. He hopes we have the understanding. Then he prays and then he prays that we would have the ability to bring application. And this is something which... I've coined, and I've called it kappa. And maybe, it's not a Greek word, kappa. And maybe some, t- who, who likes tea? Maybe every time you have a kappa tea, you may think of this. And the reason why I say I call it kappa, and I feel like I've coined it, K, not spelt like with a C, but with a K. K is for knowledge. The knowledge and the doctrinal truths of God's word and his work through Christ. So as you're having your cup of tea, think about God's knowledge. Having God's knowledge. You is for understanding. Understanding what God has done for us and how he desires to bless us. The first P is prayer. Communicating with God for his will to be done in us and also through us. The other P is for God's power. You know, his energia, his dunamis power to be flowing from us. Flowing through us because we have Christ dwelling within us. It's whether we're allowing that power, that ability, that self-control, that whatever it may be to flow through us. And then the A is for application. Applying what we know in our lives from day to day. And application is so, so important because without putting it into practice, it just remains information. It just remains, to a degree, head knowledge. We just know this stuff, but we never apply it to our lives. And so... With all these reasons, this is why Paul again has relentlessly, you know, and repetitiously continued to communicate 
the knowledge of doctrinal truths. You know, we spoke about um, today about having an answer for the hope which is within us. You know, if you don't really know why you're saved, how would you have an answer for someone who asks you about the hope which you have within you? We need to know these things. And this is why doctrine, this is why the New Testament in particular, just it painstakingly just hits upon doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. So the Apostle Paul, he repeats and repeats who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, and what the Father expects from us now that we are in Christ. And... As I said before, his initial response is to pray. And he says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing which is interesting about this verse, and would have been interesting to the first-hand readers of this epistle, is that this was not a normal posture for a Jewish person to pray in. The normal posture would have been to stand and pray. And if you can remember in Luke 18, where Jesus gives the, the parable about the, public, the publican and the Pharisee who both stood and prayed, you know, that's, he emphasized that they stood and prayed. You know, and we know in that parable that the publican went away justified because he just beat his chest and just said, Have mercy on me, God, for I'm just a sinful person, a sinful person man so when you're looking through the scriptures and it specifically mentions another posture you know the author is trying to put emphasis on what is going on here you know if you can think back to Luke chapter 5 when um, the Lord took Peter and his and his colleagues out and they had that great great catch of fish and then afterwards Peter falls down at the Lord's feet and he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. It, it isn't just Peter just dropping down saying, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. There's, it's trying to communicate the intensity there. It's trying to communicate that there's something more than just this, I'm praying to the Father. Think about Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. It doesn't say that he just prayed. It says in Matthew 26, 39, it says that he fell on his face, agonizing in prayer. You see, the scriptures are trying to give us a bit more information. We can easily just read over it. So what is, what is Paul trying to communicate here? He's saying, look, I'm not just praying this, this wishful prayer for you guys. You know, I'm praying with fervent prayer, with intensity. When was the last time one of us prayed with intensity and fervent prayer? As if our life depended on it. As if, you know, the situation depended on me, not just crying out to the Lord, but crying out to the Lord. Intensity in prayer. 
you know, and because it's at my house, I have the privilege of being there from week to week. But, you know, having those times of prayer, intense prayer, and you can see at prayer meeting when the Lord just specifically directs us and leads us down a particular vein to pray that way. It's beautiful. But also in our quiet time, I mean, prayer. Many of us have problems just praying in the first place, much less having intense prayer. So Paul is trying to describe the depth and intensity of his prayer, that it's serious. He's, he's seriously petitioning the Father for them. Not for himself, for them. And you know, again, many of our prayers are quite selfish. We pray for ourselves all the time. Lord, you know, oh Lord, you know, I need a new job, or Lord, you know, this isn't quite working for me, and I need some direction in my life, Lord, because I don't know where I'm going. And and there's nothing wrong with those prayers. But it's praying for the needs of others. Praying for the needs of our brothers and our sisters who we know need our prayers. You know, we had open doors here um, a while ago. You know, has any of us sort of like made it a point in our lives that there are brothers and sisters around the world suffering for their faith and that we would just give five minutes of our time a week just to pray for them? You see, we're all guilty. I stand guilty here as well of not having that fervency and that intensity in praying to the Father for others. And Paul gives us this example here that you know, to, a, a great example for us to follow. And when he prays, you know, he's, he's praying to, which seems obvious, he's praying to a common father. He says, I pray, I bow my knee to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, he's taken time to establish that God no longer, you know, he's, he's broken down that wall of separation. From two, he's made one. He wants oneness. He's going to go on to talk about unity. He's going to go on to talk about, you know, we have this common objective. You know, um, Richard prayed today that the only reason why we're able to, to have communion because we have a common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a father in which we pray to, in whom we pray to. And he prays to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, He's praying to someone who is outside of our dimension, outside of our time and space. He is the father of all those who are alive, but more than that, he's also the father of all those who are absent from the body and present with him in heaven. And this is what he says. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That's an interesting little thing to say. Because as far as the father is concerned and Paul's concerned. If you are absent from the body. God is still your father. If you are a believer. It doesn't stop just in life on the, in the here and now. And then from verse 16, you know, Paul starts putting the meat 
onto the prayer. And he starts getting into what he really wants to pray for. And in order to, get, to, to begin to get Paul's train of thought, we have to, in a sense, connect verse 16 with a part of verse 17. Because both of these petitions refer to the innermost being of the believer. The inner man. And the strength of the indwelling Christ by his spirit. And each of these aspects that Paul prays for is like a doorway or a gateway leading to the next thing. It's like building blocks in a sense. So he prays that he, God the Father, would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul is praying for these believers in Ephesus and for us also today as well, you know, it's relevant to us that we would be strengthened. But strengthened inwardly. You know, this is a prayer for someone who is mature. This is a prayer for someone who can really take hold within the inner man what Paul is about to say. And as I said, bef- as I said before, apply it to their lives. This is where Paul's going. It isn't just this willy-lilly prayer. Oh, it sounds good, Paul. It's a nice prayer. Paul focuses on the inner man because, as we all know, this is where real change takes place. You know, we can have all these cosmetic changes, which means absolutely nothing. And the world is big on cosmetic changes. The fashion industry, it's long skirts one year, short skirts the next year. Tapered trousers one year, flared trousers the next year. The fashion, the hair fashion is long, then it's short. It's blonde, and then it's brunette. It changes because it's, it's trying to put some cosmetic external thing to say, you're different now. Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says when God does something in your heart and you apply it to your life, guess what? You're different now. So Paul is talking to these guys to have this change in the inner man, the inner person, the inner being. And we all know this because we are believers that this is where we have the difficulty. The battleground is in the mind. And from the mind, it goes down to our innermost being, you know, the center of us, the heart. Not the Valentine's Day heart, the heart, the real sense of who we are. And it's where we say, I hear that, Lord, and I know that's true, but you know what? I don't want to do it. I want to do it, but I haven't got the strength to do it. Nobody else is doing it, so why should I do it? 
Lord, I tried it once before and it doesn't work, so I'm not doing it. Can I get any witnesses out here? That's where the work needs to go on, inside. Because as we yield to the Spirit of the Lord from within, this is the key. As we yield to the Spirit of the Lord from within, slowly but surely, those challenges, those temptations, those things we lust for pale into insignificance. Because we're yielding to the Spirit of the Lord and we're finding that, not my will, Lord. Let your will be done. Yeah, I want this. And everything within me wants to do this. But you know what, Lord? I want to be obedient to your word. God's word says, obedience is better than sacrifice. So we could all be around here doing our thing, playing church and everything. But within, disobedient. And the Lord is saying, do you know what? I have this problem with you. Just as he said to these Ephesians, Ephesian believers, you know, return to your first love. Return to the things you know I'm going to be pleased with. You loving me. It starts with you loving me. That's where it starts from. I'm not worried about all this stuff, even though us being servants is very, very important. I want to see that you're loving me from within. And so... This prayer is a prayer for the inner man, the inner person. And that's going to be challenging at different levels for all of us in here today. Because we're all at different stages. I know there's areas in my life, I'm like, Lord, you know what? That's me. Don't touch it. I'm not, I'm not willing to bend to that right now. And that's between me and the Lord. And I'm just being real with you. And I know that there's not one person here who cannot say the same thing. Because we all have the same challenges. And so, we all have the same challenges, but Paul is praying. And God's word says that we can be strengthened within the inner man. And so, the answer is here. Lord, I'm weak, but please strengthen me. Lord, I don't necessarily believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, can you do what I just cannot do for myself? Help me, Lord. Bring people around me who are going to encourage me. Who I can be held accountable to. It may not solve the problem straight away, but it's going to go a long way in helping. But again, many of us like to be isolated. We like to do our own thing. And the Bible is very clear again. He who isolates himself seeks his own gain. And so, repeating myself, the strength that Paul is referring to is really the ability to allow the indwelling spirit to have access within our lives. Why? So that Christ will dwell in our hearts. 
And now I'm going to give you a Greek word, which is katakeo. And katakeo means to settle down somewhere and to house permanently. And that's what the word dwell means. It means that Christ will settle down in our hearts to dwell there permanently. Now, I'm not referring to the fact that, you know, because every believer, once we receive Christ, Christ comes and dwells within our heart. But how much access do you give him in your heart? Have that little corner, that little room over there. Because he wants to have the whole house. So it's Christ dwelling permanently as opposed to him just having this temporary abode, you know, where we can just kind of like take Christ or leave Christ, depending on how we feel. You see, Christ wants to have free reign in the whole house, in the library of your mind. In the kitchen and dining room of your appetites. In the living room of your leisure pursuits. And he wants to have free reign in the isolated cupboards, which is the piece you just want to keep for yourself. Or it's the area you're saying, I don't want to have to deal with it because of past hurts. Leave them alone. It's best I forget about them. Christ wants to have free reign. Permanent position in every room. And that's hard. You know, many of us in our lives before Christ, we have some issues going on. Many of us have had difficult upbringings. And what? We're meant to just forget about them. We need to deal with them. Allow Jesus to deal with them so that he can move you from one aspect of glory to another aspect of glory, from one aspect of maturity to another aspect of maturity. And so he wants to have this position in our hearts, in our minds, so that it would determine our actions and our application of his word from day to day. That's what he wants. So that, again, when we're faced with difficulties, when somebody perhaps at work is getting all up in our face and we really want to just snap back and tell them about themselves, we're like, hmm, would, would Christ want, want me to act in that way? Would, would that be representing my Lord how he would want me to represent him? You know, the, the Bible is clear. We, we have to put on Christ. We have to deny ourselves. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I mean, is that real in, all, in our lives? Or is it very much, no, it's very much me. And I just, I just don't do it that way because that's just me, isn't it? Very challenging. And in the second part of verse 17, 
sometimes the verses, we can divide them up into A, B, C, depending on how big the, the verse is. So 17b, Paul uses two metaphors to emphasize the importance of what he prays for. And he says that you being rooted and grounded in love. Love is always the key that holds it all together. Love is the key. We can love God because he first loved us. You know, God isn't, isn't just an aspect of love, love. God is love. We are his children, therefore we ought to love. Love is always the key. And so Paul, he says that there's these two things which have to be rooted and grounded in love. And the first metaphor is botanic, botanical, where it says, and it's expressing the needs for Christians to have deep Roots. It says being rooted. And whenever I hear, you know, the scriptures talking about roots or trees or things like that, it always reminds me of someone. You know, being like that tree which is planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he or she does shall prosper. It always reminds me of that. Having deep roots. And again, it's important because, you know, we should no longer be children who are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So we need to know what we believe in, so, believe in so that the roots have gone deep. We won't be phased when somebody comes with some dodgy doctrine. We're like, mm, I don't think so. But again, the difficulty is this, and the problem is this, is that many of us don't even pick up our Bibles. The, prob the difficulty is that many of us just want to come on a Sunday from Sunday to Sunday and just hear a message from the front. That is your meal for the week. And if you think about that as in natural terms, you can, get, can you get by by one meal a week? Spiritually, our spirit man, our inner being, he needs the word of God to feed on the word of God, to grow. So that we could have deep roots. And then we have the other example, um, which is architectural. And this is expressing the need for believers to have a firm and solid foundation of love. Again, speaking about firm and solid foundations, this always reminds me of Matthew 7, where Jesus spoke about two houses being built. One on the, one on the sand. That sounds like a nice house. California or somewhere like that, on the beach, on the sand. Always sounds, it sounds pleasant. But that house doesn't stand. But then we have the house which is built upon the rock. It's not being moved. And, you know, within the, within the parable, 
you know, both houses are subject to the same elements. So that means as believers, we go through the same things as your neighbor who does not know the Lord. Only difference is we have Christ. Only difference is, well, it's not the only difference, it's a big difference. But the big difference is, we, know, we, sh- we should know how to act and respond within those situations. When our neighbor who does not know Christ is, is just going crazy because all hell's broken out in their lives, you can think, well I, well, I can see why you're getting on like that. You've got no hope, you have no hope. But we have hope. And... As Matthew 7 sort of like goes on to say, the difference, Jesus says, is, is between those who heard and did. So hearing just isn't enough. Knowing just isn't enough. Understanding just isn't enough. It's those who hear, know, understand, and do. That is where the rubber hits the road. That is what makes all the difference. Us doing. And so, Paul says that these things, you know, we need to be firmly rooted and grounded in love. You know, Jesus went on to say in John chapter 13 and verse 34. You know, Jesus doesn't say things lightly. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So he's not asking us to do anything which he hasn't already demonstrated. You guys love one another. I've demonstrated my love towards you. And if you love one another, by this, just a few people are going to know. Just, you know, just a few people just in Jerusalem are going to know that, you, you know. It says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, demonstrating Christ's love in our lives is foundational. It's a foundational expression of God's love in our lives. So, if we have a problem loving, maybe we haven't got much of Christ in our lives. You know, it was very encouraging to hear Alex say that when he came here, he felt welcomed, appreciated, loved. That is evidence that we are outworking what God says in his word. But, Does that mean we've arrived? I'm sure there are still people here who feel like they're isolated. That, you know, I come to church, nobody doesn't really greet me or say anything, and they don't really have conversation with me. Maybe I'm the type of person who, you know, my body language doesn't really give out anything, and I just sort of like, I don't mean to be like that, but I am like that. But nobody makes the effort with me. Maybe you're that person. And we as believers, we should go the extra mile to make everybody feel welcome and accommodated and loved. Because that is an indication that we have God's love within us. And if we're not, 
Well, then again, it indicates something else, doesn't it? It indicates that we've got a long way to go. And it is my hope that, again, that here at Calvary Chapel, South London, that would be one of the things that draws people, the love we have one for another. And so, again, the Lord wants us to be rooted and grounded in love, as it says that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. See, in verse 18 it says that he wants us to comprehend with all the saints, which means I can't do it on my own. I need you. But guess what? You need me. And guess what? You need the person next to you. And you should appreciate the fact that the person next to you professes Christ as Lord and Savior. So, you know, there's an aspect of what's, you know, their character, which you need, which we need as a body. And if we don't try to tap into that or draw that out, who's losing out? We as a body. You know, the Bible says that the gifts and callings of God are, are without repentance. So, you know, he gives us gifts. We need to use them. And if we, you know, a good aspect of being a coach is seeing potential in someone and then drawing it out and saying, do you know what? The way you run, it's really, really good. You're fast, but you know what? I can, I can add a few seconds onto your timing, you know. It's just that instead of having your hands going like that when you're running, start straightening them up. There's many coaches here. You may not be the person who is that runner, but you may be the coach. Are you being a coach? And if you're a runner, are you doing what the Lord is expecting you to do? Can you get my examples? Thank you. Now, I'm going to sidetrack for a minute. We have gone through this whole process of membership. And it wasn't just to go through a process of membership, just to say, oh, we've done membership. Many of you in your interviews or your get-togethers or your little meetings, whatever you want to call it, you showed us that you have gifts. And this your brother is excited about drawing upon those gifts. About allowing it to be a body ministry at South London, not just the few who do everything. A body ministry. That you will be challenged to put your hand to the plow in whatever capacity that, that may mean. You know, the scripture says, I have called you young men because you are strong. So there's some, there's some young guys here who are strong. There's a strength there. Are you using it? Are you using it for the glory of God? You look at the prophets, Jeremiah and those guys. They weren't some old cats with long white beards. Young men. Young men committed to fulfilling the purpose of God in their lives. 
serving. Jesus sets the example. He says that I didn't come to be served. I come to serve you guys. It doesn't change. We're servants. Paul has said time and time again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a steward. I'm a servant. I'm, I'm the, the least of the least of the apostles. That's his attitude. Do we have the same attitude? Question. You answer. But he says here in the text that, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. We need each other to get to try and grasp this thing which he says passes knowledge. And so what he does now is from focusing on the indwelling and outworking of love in the believer's lives. He now starts turning his attentions to, to Christ's love. Because he says, the love of Christ which passes knowledge. It passes knowledge, but he prays that somehow we can comprehend it. That we may know it and understand it in all its fullness by the working and the revelation of the Spirit of God. The width and the length and the depth and the height of Christ's love. And you know, in studying this, many commentators, you know, they just see this as Paul being kind of like poetic. They see this as Paul using, you know, rhetoric. And in your own studies, however you want to interpret this portion of the text, and whatever Paul's motivation was, you know, for me, these words just conjure up, you know, a beautiful picture of the omnipotent God. And so, if we can view this as the, the width, to understand the width of Christ's open arms as he hung on the cross, in order to provide a way for all of us to be in this hall today and say, we believe in Jesus. Our sins have been forgiven. The way he provided a way back for humanity, both Jew and Gentile, to come to know the Father. Can we look at this in, in the terms of the length of the cross, which was firmly fixed down in the earth, and, and as well as being firmly fixed down in the earth, it pointed upwards to heaven, so that all creation could see. The cross, that fixed event, that fixed point in time and history, which God would use as a basis, as a standard, to say, this is how I demonstrated my love for humanity. I let my son hang on a cross for you. And I didn't just leave him there. I allowed, allowed him to be raised again. Now, what are you doing with it? Have you ever tried to comprehend what that meant to me as a father to give over my son to be abused in that way? Have you ever tried to understand the depths of the knowledge of that? 
the length that Christ went to to secure salvation, the depths that Christ will go to in order to look at your own life, to reach you, to, to reach the most degraded of sinners. Christ will go to extreme lengths in order to reach an individual. Can we look at this in terms of the heights of which Christ is now exalted in the heaven of heavens? Far, 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 I don't know how many fars that was. Far above all principalities and powers. The heights to which Christ is exalted. We sing the songs. But do we comprehend it in its fullness? Because that's what he goes on to say. That you, you, me, may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I don't know if you, about you guys, and I'm getting a bit excited up here, but the fullness of God, the fullness. Do you believe that you can understand, you can comprehend that you actually have the fullness of God dwelling within you? I mean, I said last week, when you look at the church, the church looks so limp and so lame. Do you think the church is demonstrating the fullness of God who just kind of like spun the universe into existence? Kind of like just, you know, well, I'll just create this earth and I'll just suspend it in nothing. I kind of like spin it so it just spins and keeps spinning. I'll just allow this sun to just, you know, wait there, the earth goes around the sun, the sun goes, where's it go again? You know what it says, you know what it means, but you know, the science of it all, to know that the God who done all this lives within you, and you have his fullness. And you can understand it, but well, even if you can't understand it, again, I've said it in weeks past, it's something, even if you can't comprehend, you should aim to comprehend it. If you aim for nothing, sure to hit nothing. So, Paul prays that we all would be able to be filled with the, 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 the know it and to be filled with the fullness of God. And so, we see as we've been looking at the text here that in verse 16 we have the fullness of the Spirit. In verse 17, the fullness of Christ. And as we continue to grow in the fullness of the Father, to be filled daily with the power of God to overcome difficulties. And as we come to the final petition of Paul, As if we can still picture him there on bended knee. You know, he desires that, you know, he sets the bar high, Paul. 
And he wants us to aim for that fullness in the inner man. And he wants us to be strengthened with might, rooted and grounded in love, to have a knowledge of Christ's love, to be filled with the fullness of God. And now we see that his petition in verse um, 20 is going to take on a nice, interesting little thing. But before we get there, so I know I'm getting all over the place at the moment. Before we get there, what Paul is praying for here is nicely sandwiched between two, two full references of the entire Godhead. Now, this is, it's just a nice little anecdote. But in verse 14, we see, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Verse 16, that he, the Father, would grant you according to the riches of his, the Father's glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And in verse 20, it says, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So we see this aspect of the Trinity here. The Bible, as we know, doesn't say Trinity. But the Godhead is quite evident and very, very clear here. And so again, if you are someone who struggles to understand, you know, well, God, is he one God? Is he three gods? You know, what's this whole trinity about? Look at verses like this. We can see the role that the, 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 the different members of the Godhead actually play. And so, after looking at that, Paul closes his prayer by again highlighting that the Father who is out of this dimension reside, resides out of time and space. He has the ability to answer any request any request and any cry of the heart. And if you're making notes, if you've got a pen and a piece of paper, it's good to write this down. Because he does this in like a pyramid stage. Yeah, in a pyramid form. Verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. So, trying to look this and trying to track, look at this and trying to track it in a pyramid form. First of all, what Paul's praying for all comes from God the Father. So, he is at the top. Then we see he is able. Very interesting. God, are you able to do this? Yeah, I'm able. God is able to do. He is able to do what we think. He is able to do what we ask or think. He is able to do all that we ask or think. He is able to do above all that we ask or think. Goes on. He is able to do Abundantly above all that we ask or think. 
he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Now, I never ever looked at that verse like that before. It kind of like just rolled off of my tongue. But you break that down. God, you are able. I may not be able, but you are able. You're able to do. You're able to do. Do what? Well, you can create something from nothing. If you want to. But then you can use something which is created and still use it for your glory. You're heavy. You're able to do what we ask. What? You're concerned about what I may ask you, the creator of all things? You're joking. No, you're not joking. Wow. You're able to do what I ask or what I think? God, you're going on a bit deep now. Now, if I communicate it to you, I can hear that. But what? You know what I'm thinking. Does the Bible say that the Lord knows what we think? He knows what we have need of before we even ask for it. You're able to do all that we ask or think. You're able to do above all. Wow. So not just what I ask. That's deep. So you're able to do above. You're able to do abundantly. Now that, that's a good word, yeah? Abundantly. God could have stopped there. All right? Lord, you could have stopped there. I would have been grateful. Who else would have been grateful? Oh, just a few of you. Okay, then. Well, see if the other the ones who never raised their hands. See if you like this one. He is able to do exceedingly. Sounds like Mr. Kipling's, yeah? You're thinking about Mr. Kipling's now. That's why you're going to raise your hands now, isn't it? Because you're thinking about Mr. Kipling's. All right. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. The God you serve is heavy. If you didn't know that before, you know it now. If you think that your life is so, you know, Lord, you just don't understand. You don't know what I'm going through. You know, I've, You've never seen a case like mine before, Lord. Oh, really? He's got the t-shirt. You see, God can do these things because he is God. You know, we pray, Lord, it's, you're sovereign. You can do these things. Lord, I petition you. Lord, we've got people who are sick in our fellowship. Lord, I'm not a doctor. Even if I was a doctor, I haven't got a miracle cure. But Lord, you're able. You can do it. And he wants to do it. He wants to perform in our lives. You know, he wants to take the things we think of. And not just the things we think of, but he wants to take the things that we haven't even thought of. And say, have you thought about that? You know, when I, I thought about this, and I thought, what did you say to Jeremiah? You said to Jeremiah, you know, Jeremiah, you're a young cat. I've called you to be a prophet. You know what, Jeremiah? I know the thoughts that I think towards you. 
says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you, Jeremiah, a future and a hope. You know, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. See, prayer is connected in here. Jeremiah needs to stay connected to the Lord. And I will listen to you. Are you going to listen to Jeremiah? Yeah, but that's Jeremiah, isn't it, Lord? Yeah, but I listen to you as well. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with just a small little portion of your heart. When you casually just feel like it because you know what, things are going okay in your life. <laughs> when you search for me with all your heart, I will, be, I, will, I will be found by you, says the Lord. <laughs> Beautiful promises. Beautiful promises. And if I can just hit this nail again. You see, when we read this, the, the thing which looks out of place in this verse, verse 20. I'm going to read it again. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works. It seems like it doesn't, it shouldn't fit there, innit? It works in us. And then we look in the mirror and we, that's not working in me. That's meant to be working in me. But that is God's desire. It's meant to be working in us. Because he is able to do all these things. Because he is God. He says that he is indeed the author and the finisher of your faith. You know, those who call upon the Lord, you know, they're not going to be ashamed. Do you think he's brought us this far just to abandon us and say, oh, I was only joking. You haven't really got eternal life. You're not really going to heaven. I haven't really got things planned for you which no eye has seen and ear have heard. No, I was only joking. The promises in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. And so... Believe this, Second Peter 1.3 says that his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. We have to know what we believe in. We have to understand what we believe in. Then we have to apply in our lives what we believe in. To him be glory because as I said before in weeks past, God deserves glory. That is something which he's got every right to. Glory. To him be the glory in the church. Because we the church, you know, we are his expression of his love, of his presence in planet earth. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus. God's only going to receive glory which comes through his son. He's appointed a day where he's going to judge everybody according to the standard of his son. To 
To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. Because again, we don't, we're not, we don't serve a one minute God. You know, a microwave God. He is the God of every generation. He is relevant to every generation. Again, therefore he deserves the glory from all generations. So Paul closes his prayer by saying to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations for how long? forever and ever and ever so be it that's what amen means so be it amen amen Lord, we thank you for your word because it's beautiful. We thank you, Lord, that we are able to be strengthened in the inner man by your spirit. I pray, Lord Jesus, that all of us, Lord, will allow you to have free reign, to have free access within our hearts, Lord, within the center of our beings, Lord, so that we will deny ourselves, so that you will increase and we will decrease. So that, Lord Jesus, people will be able to look at, look at us and, or be around us and then say, we know that they've been with Jesus. Lord, we need you. We rely upon you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue just to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that we could ask or think, Lord Jesus. And that we could be pleasing in your sight. Lord, I do pray that these words and your words, Lord, will just, just resonate within our hearts and minds. It will bring about change. Lasting change, Lord. You desire fruit which remains. Bring us to that place, Lord Jesus, of maturity. We pray in Jesus' name.